G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Sometimes it is easy to anticipate that all will be business as usual in a year ahead. The kids will be another year older, we'll all be another year wiser, and things will go on the way that they always have. But what if 2018 is not more of the same? What if 2018 has your family uh, and, and in your family a financial earthquake? What if you have lost a job? What if uh, or a family member has a health crisis or a serious accident? Well, a different approach to how we might talk about preparing for a new year ahead as stewards of our finances. So always good to welcome our special guest today, Alex Cook from Wealth With Purpose. And hello, Alex. Welcome back to 2020. Neil, great to be back with you. Thanks for having me. Alex, before we get into our conversation, uh, you've moved back to Australia. You were in uh, South America, in Argentina. Argentina, Uh, Wealth With Purpose, you've been expanding it around the world in so many different areas. Uh, Give us a quick, in a nutshell, update as to how things have been going with uh, the ministry that you have, which is all about uh, Christians and their finances and wealth and churches. Yeah, look, uh, I mean, it's been going amazingly well. Uh, the ministry, just for, for the listeners, is a ministry that's aimed to help Christians uh, manage their money uh, according to biblical principles uh, so that they can live what I call financially free. In other words, they can manage their money uh, well uh, according to, to God's ways uh, and in such a way that they can then use the resources that God has blessed them with um, to advance his kingdom. So that could be, you know, helping those in need, funding your local church and so forth. So it's all about... Um, really helping uh, people realign their finances with God's word. So that's what we're about. And, yeah, it's been going very well. I mean, the bulk of the work uh, that we do is in Australia, which is why I've, part of the reason why I've moved back, but we're also operating now in um, New Zealand, Philippines. We've done some work in Chile, so we've been doing things all over the place. And, yeah, it's, it's really starting to take off, so it's been a real blessing. Okay, well, and as we get our conversation underway today, I want to open the talkback lines so listeners can contribute to our conversation. I mean, you might have had that sort of financial earthquake this year and you'd like to describe how you've tackled that and whether that's been a good experience or one that you can give glory to God in and no matter what happened. Well, 1-800-316-316, our talkback line is open and we'll take calls as they come this morning, one 800 316-316. Alex, uh, before we do get underway in this conversation, I'm assuming that it's going to be a little bit of a pessimistic uh, type conversation that we'll have because we're asking that question, what if uh, something goes bad in the next 12 months? Uh, But you don't always like to uh, stand on the side of pessimism and uh, talking about finances and, of course, the name of your ministry, Wealth With Purpose, it doesn't sound pessimistic to me. Uh, There's a lot of optimism in in talking about Christians and our our finances. Yeah, look, absolutely. Look, I think um, 
the, the reality is that the world uh, goes in, in cycles. You know, you have good times economically, you have bad times. Uh, and so I think uh, as Christians, it's prudent to prepare and to be to realize that it's not always just smooth sailing. And, and the Bible tells us to actually do that. And in fact, I've, I've got a, a great passage from Proverbs 22.3 that I like to share with people whenever I talk about economic issues that are going on in the world. And it's um, Proverbs 22.3 where it says, The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. In other words, I think sometimes we can see a few, if you like, red lights on the dash that are warning us of things ahead that we need to be wary of, and then as Christians we need to prepare for them so that we protect our families, we protect our churches, our communities, our friends and family and so forth. Um, but look, I think it's so important for people to remember that God is above our circumstances and that God is the source of our provision. I think the, the human nature is to think, you know, my job is my provision or my bank account is my provision or the government will meet my needs, which I think is, is dangerous thinking. I think we need to remember that actually, you know, God is he, he's the creator. He designed everything. He knows how it all works. There's no recession in heaven and God can certainly meet all our needs. Uh, and in fact, it says, you know, God can do exceedingly in abundantly above what we expect so we've got to have that true uh, understanding of God's character and that he will be with us irrespective of what is going on in the world very important interestingly when we're talking about being a Christian and our finances uh, and it's good to be able to reflect obviously on biblical passages promises from God that he's not going to leave us or nor forsake us, and that if we're applying good stewardship principles, uh, things should go well. How important is it to go along with those uh, principles that we understand from the Bible, Alex, to have those sorts of people who are able to stand up and give their own personal testimony of how God was with them in even the worst financial circumstances. Uh, the, the idea of testimonies, and you know, some, some testimonies with finance can be a little cringeworthy, mm. uh, others are so encouraging. What's the value of a testimony about God's provision in finance? Oh, look, I just think it's so encouraging because when we hear some of these uh, stories of God's supernatural provision in people's life, it, it really reminds us of who's really in control. I mean, I've had a number of instances in my life in the way God's provided for me in ways way beyond I expected. One was recently, about three or four years ago, where I was doing some uh, consulting work while uh, setting up Wealth With Purpose um, just because, you know, the ministry was new. We needed to have an income stream. And, uh, you know, God provided this job where I was getting paid way more uh, than I expected, and it was it was just clearly God because it just it, it enabled that I had money to provide for my family, but it also meant that I had um, the time to can invest in building wealth for purpose and so forth. So that's just one, it's a simple one, but there's many many others, and you hear it all the time. And it's 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 the encouragement factor, and it's a reminder that God is uh, above and beyond our circumstances, and that He can meet our needs very very easily and, and often in ways that we don't expect you know maybe it's a job you know you hear sometimes the, the great stories where people get you know money in the mail so to speak but more just the way god can provide whether it's you know new job new opportunities uh, and so forth and those testimonies i think are very powerful because they resonate in our hearts 
Well, I want to invite listeners. You might have your own testimony. And as you say, Alex, it's not just a matter of somehow or other uh, miraculous money appearing in the letterbox or someone knocks on the door or, uh, you know, it's in the bank account. Uh, but when it happens with a new job or a promotion or your spouse gets a promotion, all of these are ways that our finances can increase. And uh, sometimes those things happen at just the right time and uh, as we would often say beyond coincidence or coincidence the god the name god uses when he wants to remain anonymous but uh, recognizing his blessing in those things so uh, with our talkback line open there might be some listeners who have their own testimony to share uh, that talk about uh, how god has provided in a time of need and perhaps even in a time of crisis uh, well 1-800-316-316 to join into our conversation today let's talk about what we could predict for 2018 uh, Alex, uh, any insights that you might be able to offer as to uh, as to how we might be? I mean, I know this is yeah. you know people talk about crystal ball gazing, and that would be a, that was not something we don't do as Christians. But the idea of seeing into the future and understanding some changes that may be coming. Uh, anything from your point of view? Yeah, well, it's a, look, it's a great question. Um, I don't like predicting short term things because that's very hard because. You know, things can often go on better than expected for longer, and sometimes they can be worse than expected for longer. So I don't like that kind of short-term predicting. So I look at the big factors that I think are going to shape, shape our world, so to speak. Uh, in saying that, I think it's important um, for, for listeners, because this is, you know, they're across Australia, is that Australia has not had a recession for now 26 years which is really unprecedented. I think it's the only, it's this and one other country on the planet have had such a period of long economic growth. Um, so I think realistically, it's long overdue to have a downturn or a recession, if you like. Um, so that's, to me, something people should just be thinking as that's a normal part of the business cycle and that's something that we should expect. So that to me is kind of, uh, you know, people say recessions is unexpected, but in reality, they're, they're expected as part of the ordinary business cycle. But to me, there are three big macro factors that I look at. The first is the debt. The second, I call it the three Ds. So debt, demographics, and deficits. And all of these are big long-term ones. So Australia today are the third most indebted households on earth. Uh, most of that is in our houses and real estate, so some would say that's a good thing because it's you know an appreciating asset over time. But I think that's really become out of control. We've borrowed way too much money, and we've been lured in by low interest rates. Um, you know, record low interest rates uh, in most countries, but especially here. And the Bible warns us that debt can lead to slavery. So whether listeners have credit cards or they have big home loans or car loans and those things, uh, that debt is something I'd really encourage people to give a lot of thought to and how they can pay it off. Um, the second one is deficits, and that is that governments are living beyond their means. They, they bring in tax revenue to fund themselves and then they spend it. The problem is in they're spending more than they're bringing in, and you can't do that forever. And then the last one, which you know, we've heard for over 10 years, is, is the demographics. We've got an ageing population. Uh, and that, of course, is uh, starting to bite as the baby boomers retire. So there's more people going on to, to welfare and social security, which then has implications for taxation and, and actually the level of benefits themselves. So to me, those three Ds are your big uh, factors, the big things that are going to shape our nation in the next you know, five, ten years. 
as, as they begin to uh, bite, if you like. Let's come back to your thoughts on recessions. Now, uh, obviously, you're not predicting a recession for 2018, but there's an interesting thing that came out in the Queensland state election campaign. Of course, that election was just uh, recently, and of course, the campaign went for about a month uh, before that. And what came out was something very uh, interesting, that in some parts of North Queensland, uh, there particularly people on the land were complaining uh, that uh, that even though uh, some aspects of the economy were going strongly, there were parts of uh, the north and western Queensland economy that were experiencing recession conditions. Mm. So just because we don't have a national recession officially, that doesn't mean that some towns, some outback communities, uh, some suburban communities uh, couldn't be having their own recession. So uh, there's, there's certain... It does, it's not all uniform, is it? That's, no, it's spot on. And funny enough, if you, I mean, you're referring to Northern Queensland there, but it's exactly the same over in Perth and Western Australia at the moment. Yeah. They, uh, after the global financial crisis, that we had this massive uh, stimulation from China and the Western Australian economy took off. Uh, but about three years ago, that really started to taper off and uh, their house prices have slumped. Uh, their economy has slowed down dramatically. Um, so I talked to a lot of church leaders, and they all say the same thing, that the members within their church, on average, it's tougher than what it was three years ago. And so that's just one part of Australia, whereas I think New South Wales and Victoria, are, you know, which are big, big economies, are still bubbling along okay. But absolutely, it's never uniform. And, and the same with house prices, it's never uniform. In some parts, it could be doing really well. Others, it can be slowing down. So you're absolutely right. Okay, let me continue with a little bit more pessimism here. Uh, the idea that North Korea yesterday launched another missile and the idea that these missiles that North Korea can now send uh, can reach the North American continent. And therefore, if you draw a line around the radius, uh, yes, these missiles can reach Australia. In fact, the whole world is at risk if something goes astray and there was a uh, nu nuclear war uh, either brought on by North Korea or by the United States or by someone making some sort of mistake along the way. Global uncertainties like that, they obviously affect uh, economies and outlooks and those sorts of things, but uh, but some of these sort of pessimistic things about what could go wrong aren't something that we ought to avoid talking about altogether, are they? Oh, of course. Um, I mean, obviously they're very difficult to predict, but when we look at history, there's been wars and so forth, and in one sense uh, you could say that we're overdue from a big, a really big one. Um, given that's been going on for thousands of years. That's how, you know, unfortunately, humans behave, the sinful nature of a fallen man. Um, so in that sense, it is predictable. It's just, of course, you just don't know when. Um, and therefore, from a, I think from a, a household point of view, from an individual listening in, the question is how do you prepare or make it so that your finances are always stable irrespective of what goes on around the world? Because you can't control it. This, this is all completely beyond our control. Um, but so what can we do that is in our control um, in order to, you know, to, to ride out any, any circumstances that may occur anywhere? And of course, the exciting thing is that biblical wisdom on finances does help to prepare for these sorts of economic earthquakes, whether it was a nuclear attack or a war, a world war. 
let's bring things closer to home, though, here, Alex. Uh, there's a lot of families concerned with the rising electricity prices. Uh, the rising price of petrol right now, it's going through the roof. Uh, we're all looking forward to having some sort of a Christmas holiday, perhaps, and uh, and thinking, wow, the petrol bill's going to be huge if I drive such and such a distance. Uh, those sorts of things, petrol prices, electricity prices, these put pressure on our family budgets. Absolutely. I mean, these are the real-life issues that I think concern uh, so many Australians, and that's why I think if you look at the political scene at the moment, people are very frustrated that politicians aren't focusing more on these issues that are affecting everybody. Um, And these are things, though, that I think with a bit of basic money management, because I like to tell people that money really is simple. It's actually not complicated. A few simple principles that you then apply with a few simple practices and you can help manage these things. I mean, obviously, we can't control energy prices. You know, it's beyond our control. I mean, there's certain things we can do, you know, consumerless and so forth. But one of the critical things here, what you're really talking about, is spending and how we spend our money. Uh, And so the one thing I encourage people to do is a budget um, and get control of their cash flow, know where their money goes. Because one of the, the big things with money is people often have no idea how much they're really spending. I mean, they think they have an idea, but until they confront the reality through actually looking at it on a, on, on a budget that they've drawn or used on a spreadsheet, um, they don't actually know where the money's going. And I say to people to apply a really simple formula. So this is one for people to remember. It's what I call the 80-10-10 rule. And that is, you know, as Christians, we're called to live a generous life. So I say 10% for giving to God. Now, that's not meant to be a hard and fast legal rule or anything like that. It's meant to be set as a good principle to start. Then 10% for long-term saving. So saving for your rainy day uh, and saving for your future, saving for a kid's education and those sort of things. And then live on 80%. So the goal for anybody should to be live on 80%. And this is why... Doing a budget, and of course, your, your electricity prices and petrol prices will be factored into that budget uh, because of your, your fuel expense and your electricity. And try to live on 80% of your net income. That's what I say to people as your goal. And I call this living beneath your means. Because if you ever want to get ahead financially, you need to live beneath your means, not within it, live beneath. Uh, and so that is a really simple formula for people to apply. Um, if you wanted to add one extra thing to it, um, the other big expense uh, that people uh, have, of course, is their, their home, their accommodation. Now, whether you rent or buy, I say to people, try and keep your household expense, as in your accommodation expense, to 30% or under. Now, people then ask the question, well, should you rent or buy? Putting that to, to one side, if you do own and you do have a mortgage and it's already at 30%, um, to me, you want to keep chipping away very strongly at it because if interest rates rise, you could go from 30% to 40% very quickly and then it would consume a much larger part of your budget. So these are some of the really practical, mathematical, simple formulas for people to apply to their finances to keep their uh, you know, finances under control. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. 
Our talkback line are open on 1-800-316-316. Our special guest is Alex Cook from Wealth With Purpose. We are talking about what happens in 2018 if things don't go the way you anticipate. What if it all goes to custard? What if it all goes pear-shaped? How do you prepare for 2018? Alex, let's talk about what we mentioned just before the break, the idea of interest rates, the possibility of there being a rise next year. You were talking about a false sense of security, uh, having interest rates as low as they are at present. Uh, What are your thoughts on an outlook for interest rates and uh, what sort of statistics can you share with us that might back up some of the concerns you might have? Yeah, look, it's great. Obviously trying to predict what the Reserve Bank itself is challenging. Um, however, just uh, just a little bit of history. People will remember back in 1990, if you had a home loan at that time, you know, people were paying 16 17% on home loans. So interest rates were huge. Um, and really anyone that's bought a home in the last 10, 15 years has never experienced that. They don't know what high interest rates look like. Um, And the problem when you take out a home loan is that a huge portion of your repayment is actually interest, especially in the early years when you first take out that loan. So what's important for people to remember is that interest rates today, certainly in most countries, but even here, are at record lows. So you can now go to a bank in Australia and borrow at around 4% or even less which is, as I say, fairly unprecedented. So the problem will be, though, is if interest rates go up, say they go from you know, 4% to 6%, all of a sudden your repayments are going to go up dramatically. You know, People will find that their repayments can go up by 50% quite easily through much higher interest rates. And, of course, that will have a significant impact on their ability to repay, but also their, the rest of their lifestyle. You know, if they've got kids in school they're, they're paying for and just all the other things that we need to fund in our life. So higher interest rates could be very damaging if you're already in a large amount of debt. So my, um, my, my view on this is don't tr- so much try and predict interest rates, but ask yourself this question what would my repayment be on my home loan if interest rates were to go up from, say, 4% on my home loan to 7%? What impact would that have on my ability to repay and, of course, on the rest of my life? Um, you know, and all our household expenses, and if you've got kids and so forth, what impact would it have? That, to me, is a very important question to answer because if rates were to rise more than likely we could, that could tip Australia into a recession because everyone's expenses would potentially rise. Obviously, for, for others, it's good. If you're a retiree and you've got fixed income, so it's, good, it's not always good. You know, it's positive and negative, depending on how, which side of the fence you're on. Uh, but people should prepare. If you've got a lot of debt, start paying down as much as you can. And if you think you can't afford it, if rates were at, say, uh, an extra 3% above where they are today, you might even want to consider selling what you've got. Um, because it can be a real trap. And the, the, the reason why I think the Bible says debt can lead to slavery is all the power will be, will be in the hands of the bank and, and you'll, you'll be the one at their mercy. And that's where I think the real warning is. You don't want to be enslaved to a lender. Um, it will, you know, it'll ruin your ability to be a generous person, to, to give generously to your church and to, the, to others in need if you're drowning in debt and interest rates are really impacting you. 
It might be a nice thought to think that many of us are not enslaved at the present time, but uh, the idea of mortgage stress, uh, if interest rates begin to rise, and of course we're seeing economic news, uh, Australia has uh, low wages growth, uh, those sorts of issues, as soon as there is an interest rate increase, uh, and there are stories uh, that you might have picked up in secular media of recent times, uh, where the idea of mortgage stress is already there. It's not something that is uh, coming with a rise in interest rates, just rising prices are causing this uh, issue to come about. Your thoughts on, on mortgage stress and, uh, and yeah, the no, preparation absolutely. for that? Yeah, so certainly the government sort of typically defines it as 30% or more of people's income going in mortgage repayments means you start getting tipped into the stressful stress level. Um, certainly people who have bought in the most recent few years, because house prices have gone up so dramatically in the last you know, three, four years, um, people have had to borrow larger sums in order to get into the housing market. Unfortunately, there's a lot of fear associated with housing. It's kind of like, if you don't get in now, you'll never get in, that, that kind of thing I hear people say, which is, is false, but anyway, that's how people, they, they see it, they buy into that lie. Um, and therefore, they borrow way more than they should, and then they find themselves in this stressful position. Another classic example is when you've got a couple, uh, and the couple buy a place on two incomes, and then one of them loses their job, uh, or one of them becomes pregnant. You know, the wife becomes pregnant, and all of a sudden, uh, you're down to one income. That's when the mortgage stress can really bite. So there's a couple of ways to, to prepare for that, and also to prevent it. So the first thing, obviously, if you are a couple and you're looking at um, buying a place for the first time, or you know, you're in those child rearing years, buy it on the basis that you can afford to buy it with just one income. Because there's every chance that one of you, you know, the risk of recession, one of you loses your job, or alternatively that, that you know, the wife gets pregnant and uh, you, you therefore go down to one income anyway for a, for a certain period of time. So they're the, they're, that's the, try, or if you like, preventative thing. So buy on the basis of one income, that's the first thing. The second thing is if you're obviously already in debt, actually devise a plan to work out how you can make extra repayments against your loan to try and get your debt down. So I say to people, make a list of all your debts uh, and work out uh, and do a budget so you can work out what you can afford to save and put that additional money against your home loan to keep paying it down and building equity in your home. So simple things like that. Um, it's just about being uh, clear as to how much money you've got available uh, and thinking sensibly about what you can realistically afford. And as I said, I've given you some formulas about that. Um, many people, when it comes to buying things, buy on emotion. Uh, and I'm as guilty of it as anybody else. You know, you buy a car, you look at it and go, oh, wow, it looks fantastic, and you spend a little bit more than you, you thought you should. Or you borrow money on something that depreciates. And likewise with housing, people fall in love with housing. You know, at the end of the day, you know, six months in, it's no, you're less attached to it, you know. But it's that initial falling in love with this material asset, and that's when we do silly things with our money. We borrow too much money and then find that we can't repay it. Uh, and the Bible warns us, you know, that we have to repay. It's a moral, it's for Christians, it's a moral issue. You have to repay. So try not to get yourself into so much debt in the first place if you can avoid it. Uh, and if you are in debt now and you're listening to this, you know, try and work out a simple plan to pay it down 
and make extra payments to get out of debt as quick as you can. Alex, let's take some calls from listeners. First of all, let's hear from Amy in Lithgow in New South Wales. Hello, Amy. Thanks for waiting so patiently. Are you Hi, with us, Amy? Yep. Good, Amy. What are your thoughts? Well, I was just ringing to see what you think about all of this hype about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. Uh-huh. Do you have a take on it? Uh, yeah, it's a, look, it's a great question. Um, I, I think things like Bitcoin are here to stay. I think um, it's not a flash-in-the-pan thing. But I will put, uh, just because I think it's, it's a, a fantastic innovation, um, and, it, you know, it's very legitimate. The only few things I'd say, because I actually had, um, I do a bit of coaching as part of our ministry, and I had a couple of people ring me up saying, uh, should I, um, you know, open an account online and buy some Bitcoin? The only, there's a couple of comments I'd make. The first thing is it's extraordinarily volatile. Um, and the thing with currencies, and because really Bitcoin is like a type of currency, like the Australian dollar or US dollar, And the thing about currencies is they're very volatile and it's what we call a zero-sum game, which means that for every winner, there's potentially a loser, depending on which, you know, if if you... So if you buy Bitcoin, there's a chance that it goes goes up a lot against, say, the Australian dollar and... Or, so the person holding the Australian dollar loses and holding the Bitcoin wins, or it goes the other way. So there's every winner or loser, if if you like. Um, so I don't object to people buying it if they see it as a long-term uh, thing and, and as a way of holding a legitimate currency. Now, as I say, it's a fairly new innovation, and I do think these cryptocurrencies will be around for the long time. Um, and the other thing I think will happen is government regulation will step in. At the moment, these things sort of sit outside the government interference, um, but they will be regulated and taxed and so forth. So... Originally, when Bitcoin came in, people were thinking, you know, drug dealers and all this sort of stuff will use it. I think it's gone past that phase now, and it's heading very much into the mainstream. Um, mm. But it is going to be that, you know, they will be the government isn't just going to let it sit idly by and everyone buys Bitcoin. It'll be seen as something that will be need to be regulated and taxed, and you know. But you'll start seeing businesses use it more and more. In fact, I went onto a website yesterday for a cloud-based service storage, uh, and Bitcoin was one of the ways you could pay. So I think it's I think it's here to stay. Is my my personal view. Amy, does that answer your question? Yeah, it was very interesting. Thank you. Thank you, Amy from Lithgow in New South Wales. Our talkback line is open on one 316 Let's take another call. Robin in Longreach in Queensland. Hello, Robin. Welcome along. Thank you. Robin, what are your thoughts? Um, oh, I was just ringing to say that um, anybody listening, if they've got their house over their business, I'd urge them to get insurance because... Well, not that I lost my house, but I had a business 20 years ago and um, I had a breakdown and um, just might have only been six months before it happened, some men came, there was two men selling insurance and um, they said to me, oh, you know, would you like insurance? And I said, no, I'm fit and healthy because I I was, (laughs) I thought I was. And, um, but as things panned out, um, things I couldn't run my business anymore and rather than being able to um, concentrate on my health I was so concerned about the finances um, it really held my um, 
getting well again back and um yeah it's um it took a big toll on the family um as it turned out i didn't lose anything financially but um emotionally i lost everything so it's i think this is a very good um topic uh, some thoughts from alex of a robin scenario firstly robin thank you for sharing um, it's a very, very important topic uh, and one I stumbled upon all the time as a financial planner. Um, it's one of those things with insurance. People tend to look at it as a bit of an expense, you know, kind of a cost in their budget. Um, and it is, and, and God willing, you never need it. And it, it becomes, you know, you look back at 65 and say, oh, it was a waste because I never needed it. However, what I've witnessed over and over again and I remember distinctly, I was uh, giving a seminar, I give lots of seminars, and I had a lady in the audience come up to me when I, just after I'd talked about insurance. And she said to me, look, my husband just died of cancer, and uh, he thankfully had a lot of life insurance. So because of that, we were able to go on completely unaffected. She said, I don't know what I would have done had we not had the insurance in place. So it's one of those things that, you kind of think it'll never happen to me or I hope it never does. Uh, but it's when it does happen that insurance becomes critical. So there's just two big ones that I recommend people have. I mean, there's others as well, so I'm not saying don't have the others. I'm just saying these are the two big ones. One is life insurance on the breadwinner. So that way if they, something happens to them, you know, the mortgage can be paid, the school fees and so forth. So life insurance is a big one. The second one is income protection. If your ability to repay your, you know, your rent or your home loan or whatever it is, um, it comes from your ability to, to, work, to work. Which for most of us, we you know we need work in order to, to pay our bills. Then you need to get income protection to protect your income. Now, that's only two of them. There are others, and of course you want to insure your assets, your cars, and your home and contents and all that sort of stuff. But they're the two big ones that people often ignore because they think, oh, it's a bit expensive, um, but it will make a world of difference if you're not able to um, to work for some reason due to ill health or... Because, you know, we all think we're healthy until the day we're not, you know, until something happens, you know, you get a bad back or you have a car accident. I mean, there's endless things. And the, st the, st the stats show that in Australia, one in three people will ha will be off work for at least three months between uh, when they... during their working life, between up to, up to age 65. So the probability of being off work for more than three months is over 30%. So it's something where we need to prepare, have insurance in place, have emergency fund savings in place, um, because, yeah, it's such a big topic. So, Robin, thank you so much for this question because it is a very important one that, that people hear, very important message. Uh, Robin, thank does you. that answer your question? Well, I'm not sure that I had a question, but... Um, okay, well, you did mention, yeah. you did mention uh, the idea of having your house connected to your business. And, yes, of course... Uh, uh, those insurances are going to be important there. Uh, but if you're talking about general principles and how you conduct your business, if you're a sole trader and your house is connected with how your business runs, uh, any thoughts for Robin on that particular uh, idea, uh, Alex? Yeah, look, so uh, this is it's, it's once again reasonably common scenario where the house is security on loans for the business. So where possible, obviously, I try and encourage people not to secure business loans against the house. Now, sometimes that's not possible because the bank will say, well, look, we're not going to lend you the money unless you secure against a, a physical asset because the bank's trying to protect themselves. 
So that's it's it's not an uncommon scenario at all for small business. But I, I recommend, obviously, if possible, try not to secure your asset against business loans if you can avoid it. Um, also, I think the very common thing I see with businesses is overdrafts. And I do a reasonable bit of business coaching as part of the ministry, and I see people with these big overdrafts. And the problem is they're paying interest on it, uh, and often they're dependent on being paid by the people that they're customers. So if they're, you know, if it's a an electrical business or it's a any sort of business really where you're dependent on your customers paying you in a reasonable time frame, your overdraft can get bigger and bigger and higher and higher interest and that can affect you. So all those sort of things, try and take the opposite view and not use the bank and, and build cash reserves instead. Now that may take time. You might be listening to this thinking, oh man, I've got this big overdraft that's going to take me time. Take the time to pay it down and switch to cash reserves and build up cash buffers so that you can ride through both tough times, but also when people don't pay you on time. So having the reserves in place, uh, rather than depending on bank bank debt. Well, thank you so much to Robin from Longreach. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. Let's keep taking calls. Chris is on the line from Victoria. Hello, Chris. Welcome along. Uh, good day, Neil and guest. Yeah, yeah um, you know, you're talking about a possible um, future uh, um, sort of crash financially, uh, and now we're having a, a royal commission into banking, but the royal commission into banking will be worthless if they're not going to have the terms of reference to talk about bail-in or Glass-Steagall. And bail-in is where the banks can steal your deposits, and Glass-Steagall is an act that if they pass it, it protects ordinary commercial banking deposits from, you know, all the speculative investment functions. So it's very important that everybody get onto their members of parliament to, you know, to make sure that this is passed, Glass-Steagall. Uh, your thoughts, Alex? Yeah, look, actually, it's great that you raised this because I think a lot of people don't actually know how this works. So it's great that you're very well informed because most people don't know how it works. Um, in terms of bail-ins, this is what happened in Cyprus back in 2000, I think it was 2012, where um, the Cyprus banks got into a lot of trouble. And so what the EU ordered was that they did what they call in a bail-in. And what they did was to recapitalise the banks to prevent them from going broke, they essentially uh, took the depositors' funds. So anyone that had less than 100000 I think they left them alone, Anyone over 100000 they took 60% of the depositors' money. And that's called a bail-in. Now, if you go back to the financial crisis of 2008, they did what they call a bail-out. So that's where the American, um, in the case of America, they put money into the banks to try and prop them up. And then actually they did it through um, essentially buying equity in the business, funding, funding it, and then selling, that, selling them down, down the track. So that kind of thing is um, very critical that people understand it. In Australia, you have a government guarantee on bank deposits up to $250,000. But keep in mind, I don't like the concept of a government guarantee or any guarantee on financial assets because it's all dependent on something else. There's no such thing as a guarantee. So the, I mean, I don't think the Australian government would go broke. So I think the guarantee in Australia is good, uh, but nonetheless, you don't want to see anything as guaranteed. You want to do your homework. Um, the second thing you raise is the, what they call the Glass-Steagall Act, and really that was this is a US law, and it's all around the idea that banks can't speculate. Um, so a lot of banks have what we call trading desks and things like that, where they s essentially speculate with people's deposits. So this law was brought in a long time ago 
that enabled the banks to, to be able to carry on like that. And really, I think the, with a bank inquiry, you want to make it so that uh, banks are really conservative organisations. In my view, a bank should be the most boring business in the world, and it just all it does is you know takes deposits and lends money out and keep it really simple. What happened, of course, during 2008, the banks became these speculative machines trying to make huge profits, and they were essentially gambling with uh, with depositors' money, which to me is, I think, that's immoral, and I think um, they need to bring in strong laws to prevent that from actually happening in every country around the world. Um, so, yeah, so you raise a really important issue, and I think most people don't really understand the detail that you do about these things because they are very important. Chris from Victoria, thank you so much for your input today. Our talkback line open one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's take another call. Anne is on the Gold Coast in Queensland. Hello, Anne. Welcome along. Hello, my name is Anne, and um, I hurt myself, but luckily I had um, enough sick leave and long service leave because I had had three months off. I had a, a replacement done. But the other thing that I did a long time ago, my friend said put in a whole life insurance, which also gives me bonuses. So I was able to go on a trip with the bonuses. And when I retire next year, um, you know, in three years' time, I'll be 66. I'm taking the whole lot out because I've got to go and get some white goods and furniture stuff when I move out of this uh, unit. And so that's why um, it's really good to have something behind... And I also, years ago, took out a 5000 from their bonuses and put it into the bank where it's an easy cash one because with this one you've got to go and do certain things to get it out. So that's what, how I did that. Uh, your thoughts, Alex? Yeah. Yeah, well, look, what I like about what you're saying is essentially you're saying you set money aside for the future. Um, in Australia today, 50% of the population live month to month. So if they lose their job or something happens, they don't have usually more than four to six weeks worth of savings to protect themselves. So what you're saying, I mean, you talked about it through different ways, like a whole-of-life policy and so forth and sick leave and things like that. To me, there's also other things like, I would say, income protection insurance or cash reserves and so forth. So there's, uh, you know, there's not one way of doing it, but what you're saying is essentially right, and that is that you have money uh, set aside for the future when things don't go, when, unex- when the unexpected happen. Oh, I'd say to people, expect the, expect the unexpected. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. We've been talking along the lines of a little pessimism. What if something goes bad in the year ahead? What do you do to prepare? We've been talking through a whole lot of different scenarios. Our special guest, Alex Cook from Wealth with Purpose, our guest financial planning expert. We will have to put a draw line under any calls. Uh, thanks to everyone who has participated in the conversation this hour. Let me just hearken back to uh, one point made by an earlier caller, Alex. I think it was Robin in Longreach who was saying that when things went bad for her, uh, the stress became so great. And my thoughts were, this is an interesting aspect of having a biblically founded uh, stewardship view of our personal finances, is that there is a protection of our mental health and the way that we cope with stress. What are your thoughts along those lines about having a biblical undergirding for your finances? Actually, it brings a, a whole positive way of uh, of protecting you mentally. Absolutely. It is absolutely critical because, uh, you know, as that caller said, you know, she had enormous stress and pressure on her life. In Australia, 
that the number one cause of divorce is financial conflict. And whilst that is not always um, due to stressful situations, the vast majority of it is. People often feel under tremendous pressure with their money, whether it's expectations of what the future should look like uh, or because they take on too much debt and they run into trouble. So there's this enormous pressure <clears throat> that people can put on themselves if we make unwise decisions. So the question is, I think then is, if you find yourself in a difficult situation, how do you turn that pressure down? How do you actually deal with it from a spiritual perspective and from a Christian perspective? And I think um, there's a, two, two, two things I'd like to say. The first thing is giving people a clear understanding about what stewardship actually means. And then secondly, a solution as to how you deal with the stress. So the first thing, I, I think stewardship is managing God's blessings in God's ways for God's glory. That's how I, I define it, the three-part definition. So we in this country are very blessed, and we're all blessed with different amounts, and we need to do it in God's ways. If we do things that are contrary to God's ways, then we'll find ourselves in trouble. So we want to realign our finances and do it God's way. And the second thing, remember, that we're to build his kingdom. Life is not about us. It's about building his kingdom, advancing him and glorifying him. So those, to me, are the three key things. But if you find yourself in a stressful situation, you know, we all make mistakes with money, I know I do, um, is I think you need to learn to have what I call intimacy with God, radical intimacy with God. You see, you know, as Christians, we, we like to talk about the obvious, and that is that we have a personal God that we believe in, but you can't trust somebody you, you do not know. So it's sometimes easy as a Christian to have a head knowledge about God, but you need to have a heart knowledge. You need to know that he is there for you, that he cares for you, and that he wants what's best for you. So that requires spending the time and being intimate with him, actually knowing him, reading the Bible, praying, worship, all those things. They may sound like they have nothing to do with money, but if you do those things as a daily exercise, I, I get up early in the morning and do those as a daily exercise, and my wife and I also try and pray together most days in the morning before we even start the day. And that is how you build intimacy and trust in God so that when the storms hit, because sometimes the storms are not of our making, they're of someone else's making, that's when you, you need to have that intimacy with God. And that will help you through those stressful times when you realize, you know what, God is actually in control of this. He has got, he's got my back. Very tempting, isn't it, to separate our finances from our faith when, in fact, uh, they are all the one deal. You have a lot of online training courses, some of those for churches, some of those for business, some of those for individuals. When people go to your website, Alex, uh, wealthwithpurpose.com, what sort of things are they likely to find valuable in relation to our conversation today? Yeah, look, for, for, for listeners, there's probably two main things. The first is our courses, which they can sign up to, and, and, and most of those are designed to just take you through a very methodical way of, of understanding biblical personal finance, and there's lots of tools and resources attached to those courses, so templates and, uh, and ways of working out your finances. So it's kind of like do-it-yourself to, to a degree, and that's really helpful. If you want a bit of extra help, there's also our money coaching service. So you can actually speak to someone, either myself or one of our coaches around Australia, who can help you directly with your finances um, and help you with budgeting and debt management and so forth. So there's all sorts of 
different ways. But if you go to wealthwithpurpose.com, you can see the resources. There's also free resources there, so you can download ebooks and tools and templates just to get you started as well. Well, that website is wealthwithpurpose.com. And our special guest this hour, Alex Cook from Wealth With Purpose. And Alex, always so appreciate your down-to-earth approach, uh, wisdom of God approach when it comes to finances. And uh, certainly uh, hope all goes well with you as you've relocated your family from Argentina back to Australia. And as the ministry continues to expand in all of those countries around the world, uh, our expectation is that God's blessing is going to be upon uh, all the things you put your hand to. Thanks so much for taking some time today and sharing your thoughts and your heart with our listeners. Pleasure, Neil. Thanks for having me on again. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.